Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here today at Bible Baptist Church Online. And as always, we hope that today will be a help to you. Would you please take your Bibles with me and turn to Colossians chapter 2, please. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to get back into our series on uh, Invested uh, from the book of Colossians. And uh, it's important that we... Um, just kind of do a little bit of review. We started last week, or a couple weeks ago, excuse me, in Colossians chapter 2, we, we worked through verses 1 to 10, and we talked about being a distracted investor, which kind of tied into what we talked about the last two weeks between the government and the church and the church's response to the government, because a lot of times we'll get distracted from what our calling is. And so uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 and 10, really delved into that and, and being uh, thoughtful toward that and the fact that we need to be rooted and grounded in Him and be completed in Him found there in verse 10. But uh, today we're going to look into uh, verse 11, and uh, we'll get there in just a second, though. But before we do, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us as we look at this passage again to gain the knowledge that you want us to have from what you have done for us. Father, thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you so much for allowing us to have eternal life and being raised to life once again. And Father, we just thank you so much for that opportunity. And Father, if there's one here today that does not know that, one listening, Father, I pray that you would uh, help them to understand that today, that they would know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to write this word down, and if you get the correct spelling without looking it up on YouTube, or uh, excuse me, on Google, then you are a wonderful person, all right? Here's the word, thanatophobia, okay? Thanatophobia. I love these phobia words. There's all kinds of different ones, but thanatophobia is the fear of dying, the fear of dying. More specifically, it is the fear of the dying process, okay? So thanatophobia is the fear of the dying process. This is most common in people who are growing older, okay? People who are getting older and just, you know, thinking about the dying process. Maybe they're lying in bed unable to get out anymore, and this anxiety, this fear is, is coming upon them. But not only is it present in older people, it's also present in people um, who have family or friends that are facing death, and I think that's understandable. I remember when my grandfather was uh, getting ready to pass away. He was, you know, toward the end of his life. And I remember feeling anxious for him. Uh, many of you have asked for prayer for loved ones who are uh, getting ready to pass away. And many have asked, just pray that they go peacefully. And I understand that, right? Because we don't want that anxiety. But thanatophobia is the fear of dying or the fear of the process of dying. Here's the reality. Not one of us, I don't think anywhere in the entire world, like death in any fashion, form, or shape. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to think about it. In fact, we try to avoid the subject whatsoever. Death usually signifies to us the end of an era. I think of, again, when my grandfather passed away. That was the end of an era for me. All the things that we had done together and uh, the things that we had spent time doing, uh, that was the end of that for me. And it was, uh, it was sad. Uh, but at the same time, I knew where my grandfather was going. It was exciting. He was in no more pain. He had had a stroke uh, five years earlier, so he had lived with that for five years. 
And so he was in a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, a lot of the last few years of his life. But it ends, it uh, signifies the end of an era, but it also signifies the end of life or the end of our relationship with someone. Oftentimes we look at people and we think, man, I just wish I could spend more time with them, but death removes that. And so you might be sitting there thinking today, Pastor Yeomans, this is depressing. Uh, This is not what I came to hear on a Sunday morning about death and the depression of that. But instead of thinking about death as a depressing thing this morning, I want to flip the paradigm again uh, and, and try to get you to see it from a different perspective. I want to talk to you about this morning the wonder of death. The wonder of death. If I could put it another way, the awesomeness of death. And you might be scratching your head thinking, what in the world? But I want to give you this title, and hopefully this will maybe fill in a little bit of blanks for you. Maybe not, but we'll try to work through it, all right? I want to give you the title of the message. It is The Investment for Life. The Investment for Life. We can find this in Colossians chapter 2. Look with me in verse 11. The Bible says this, in whom also ye are circumcised. In whom, again, just referring back to Christ, you see that in verse 6, and even verse 5, talking about Christ. So, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The investment for life. Once again, Paul is bringing us back to the ever-incredible story of Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to bring you this morning. I want to bring you back to the ever-incredible story of Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, we just celebrated Easter. We, We focused in on Jesus Christ. And if I can just be honest, how quickly we forget about Jesus Christ, especially when things are going on. Uh, shortly just before Easter, restrict, new restrictions came. Shortly uh, after Easter, new restrictions came again. And I'll just be honest with you, those things distract me from Jesus Christ. And that is our main goal. And so I'm, I'm loving the fact that we get to focus back in on him. Paul especially gets us to focus on the story of Jesus Christ and how that impacts our lives directly. I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ does impact our lives directly. I think sometimes that we think that Jesus Christ is some sort of an abstract idea. Um, it's a, he's a wonderful concept of a way to live our lives. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way but through Jesus Christ. And so I want you to understand this morning that Jesus does directly impact our lives. The reality is Jesus is real. And he ought to not only affect the way we live, but he ought to be a part of our lives. He, he shouldn't just affect us. He ought to be a part of who we are. He's not just some mystical being living up somewhere in the sky. Listen, he is a part of our everyday life. He is real. And guess what? We can have a real relationship with him. 
And I want you to understand this. We say this all the time, but the reality is true. The more time you spend with him, the more you become like him. So important. So I want to, this morning, look at four ways. Four ways that Jesus affects our lives. Four ways that Jesus affects our lives. And you might think, well, I don't really understand these. And, and I, want, I want to just kind of break them down. And at the very end, hold on with me. At the very end, we will get very, very practical. And hopefully, it will show you how Jesus can affect our lives. Number one, I want you to see very simply, the curse of sin cut off. The curse of sin cut off. Look with me again in verse 11. The Bible says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins, look at this, of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The word circumcision very simply means to cut off. Very simply means to cut off. The reality is this. Jesus has cut off our sin from us. Look again in verse 11 toward the end. In putting off, putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Because of what Jesus Christ did, he cut off the body of our flesh. He cut off our sins from us. If you will, he, he removed the outer shell. He removed the outer shell of our sinful flesh. That was a part of who we were at birth. I want you to understand that. The, the sinful flesh that we are veiled with, it was a part of us from birth. The Bible says that sin has cursed every person on earth. Romans 5.12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, listen, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every man, every person, every human being has, has sin cloaking them. It's just over top of them, and we have all sinned. And we understand, I hope you understand, if you don't, let me give you the definition of sin. Sin, by definition, is missing the mark of God. Missing the mark of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 tells us this, For all have sinned, and listen, come short of the glory of God. You pull your bow and arrow back and you do all you can to try to hit the mark, but every time you just fall short, you miss the mark. You cannot attain to the glory of God. Well, what is sin? Lying, cheating, wrong thoughts, biblical immorality. And listen, the list could go on and on and on, but these are all sin. And these sins, they all curse us. And they make us miss the mark of God. And all of us are born that way. Uh, it's frustrating, I understand. Uh, but because of what Adam and Eve did, because of their sin, that sin passed upon all men, and now all have sinned. And so we are born with this curse of sin. But this is the wonderful news. Jesus steps in. Jesus steps in, and, and, and the death of Jesus Christ cut off the curse of our sin. It removed it from us. Let's put it this way. It detached the hold that sin had on us. And it gave us a way to shed that sin. Without Jesus Christ, we have no way to shed our own sin. There is no way for us to get rid of it. It's as if Jesus carved it out and then gave us a way to put, gave us an opportunity to push it off. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. The Bible says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2 says, God forbid. 
How shall we, listen to this, that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How in the world can we live with that cloak of sin still over top of us? Because Jesus Christ has given us the opportunity to shed that cloak, why in the world are we allowing ourselves to live inside of it? Push that sin off. We have been uh, cut free from it. We have been cut off from the curse of sin. We no longer have to be enshrouded by our sin. No longer. We, we have the opportunity to be free because of what Jesus Christ has done. This is how it affects my life. I no longer have to be in bondage to this. I can be free from the burden of sin. It's been cut off from me. I don't have to walk around with that dead weight anymore. I can live free indeed. But not only is the curse of sin cut off, number two, I want you to see this, the body of sin is buried. We're going to talk about sin a lot today. Because sin is a very important problem in our lives. Sin is the reason that separates us from God. But listen to me, the, the curse of sin has been cut off. And number two, the body of sin is buried. Look at verse 12 with me. Look at, the Bible says this, buried with him in baptism. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith and the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. We're going to focus on the first part of this verse. Not only was sin cut off, but it was buried. Not only was sin cut off, but it was buried. Romans chapter 6, we just talked about verses 1 and 2. But verse 3 and 4, listen to what the, what the Bible says here. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, listen to this, were baptized into his death. Hold on, it's not done. Look at verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Wow, I mean, this, this seems incredible, but let's kind of break this down. Our sin, when Jesus died, the sin of the entire world was placed upon it, was cut off from us and placed on Jesus Christ. Jesus, we know, was buried. Guess what he did? He took our sin with him. So I want you to understand the body of Jesus Christ full of sin now placed upon him is buried in the earth. Listen, our sin was buried. That's good news. Let me explain to you why. Our sin was buried because it is now out of our sight. Okay, it's been cut off. And oftentimes what happens is when you cut something off of you, you just stand there and look at it, right? Thinking, oh no, it's still there. Okay, the reality is if my mom ever told me, don't eat one of those cookies that just came out of the oven, and she left them on top of the, on top of the stove, and they were just looking so good, what, what would happen if my mom said, don't eat of those cookies, and all I did was just stare at them and smell them? Oh my goodness, I can just smell them now. Chocolate chip cookies, fresh out of the oven. Listen to me. If all I did was just stare at those things, I, I can almost guarantee you knowing my stomach, I would eat one. Regardless of what my mom said. Regardless of what she told me, I want you to understand, when your sin is buried, it is removed out of your sight. The best way to not eat chocolate chip cookies is to get out of the house and not smell them, not look at them, not have any thought of them. Bury them so to speak. Listen, our sin is no longer in plain view for us or, listen, anyone else to see them. 
So the body of sin, or excuse me, the curse of sin is cut off, but the body of sin, the the things that are cut off, are now buried so we can walk around not having to see our sin or anybody else's sin. This is wonderful news. Let me take some time to address this. Here's the problem. As many times, Satan will try to unearth your sin. He will try to unearth them. He will try to bring them back up and remind you of just how bad you are. He will try to make you feel guilty. He'll try to shame you with them. Let me give you some good news, though. Those sins that are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, listen to me, they are buried. They are no longer in our sight. They are no longer in our view. They are completely taken care of. They are gone. There's an old song that says, my sins are gone, and we spell the word G-O-N-E, gone. That was terrible singing, I understand. But I want you to understand, they're gone. They don't have to be brought up anymore. We don't have to look at them. They are never to be seen again. The Bible says it this way. Our iniquities are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west, the east and west never touch. The Bible also says this, that they are cast into the depths of the sea. Listen, they are gone. They are forever gone. Listen to me. Don't let Satan, don't let Satan or anyone else bring them up. They're buried. They're completely underground. Listen, that, that's relieving. That's freeing. So I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know if you have past sin that, that's just bearing you down, but I want you to understand this. With Jesus Christ, he has cut that sin off and he has buried it. It's buried. It's buried under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's buried when he was buried. It's, it's, it's so far removed. It's cast into the depths of the sea. Listen, don't let someone else bring them up. I know many people get saved later in life and they have some friends that they used to hang out with and they used to spend time with and those friends will say, hey, you used to. Or hey, you, you did this or you did that and oftentimes those friends will try to unearth that sin. Listen, you are free indeed from those sins. You don't have to look at them anymore. I want you to see number three, and I think this one's probably my favorite. Number three, the declaration of sin destroyed. The declaration of sin destroyed. We're going to jump over verse 13 and look at verse 14. The Bible says this, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. It was working against us and took it out of the way. Look at this, nailing it to his cross. Woo! That's awesome. He, he took our sins. Listen, there was a declaration against us. There was a declaration against us. There was a handwritten ordinance against us. Look at what it says again in verse 14. Out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, contrary to us. Listen, we don't live in this type of society, but there are ordinances there are handwritten laws that were against certain people let me just give you an instance some of you will remember the book of esther the book of esther is exactly this there was a man by the name of haman that had worked his way up into the ranks and it seems to be that he was second under the king 
He, second in line. I mean, he was way up there. The only person higher than him, it seems, was the king. Haman took this opportunity of power and he wrote out a declaration. He made a declaration, a royal decree against the Jews, the people of God, and said that on this day every Jew should be killed. And so listen, there was a declaration written, an ordinance, a stamp, now with the king's approval. The king's signet had sealed this, a royal decree that all the Jews should be killed. Now I want you to think about this. There was a royal decree written. There was a royal decree written from God that if we sin, we will die. The Bible says, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we are condemned to die. A royal decree is written. The sin that we had committed sealed our fate. So God says this, if you sin, you will die. And then we sin, which, if you will, sealed our fate. That was the end of it. We all are sinners. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. Listen to this. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. The Scripture hath concluded all under sin. It says, listen, you are all sinners. We have a declaration against us. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says this, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Listen, that that body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Look at this verse. Jesus Christ took our old man, he took that declaration, he took that ordinance, and he nailed it to the cross with a paid stamp on it, with his blood, and it said, it, this is no longer valid. Look at verse uh, 14 again. Blotting out the handwriting ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to, to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Man, so awesome. So we don't have to serve sin anymore. He took our old man and he nailed it to the cross, signifying the payment that the payment for sin was complete. No longer are we bound for death. No longer are we in chains, shackled to sin, sealing our fate. We have been made free. He broke the chains of sin and set us free. A declaration is nailed to his cross. Listen, you can go there and you can see the blood-stained cross. Jesus Christ. And obviously, we can see that in the Scripture. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from all sin. We are no longer under sin. The declaration of sin is destroyed. No longer does God see our sin. He can see the blood of Jesus Christ. So hear me please. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want you to first of all know that you have a sin problem just like everybody else. And that sin problem condemns us to death, which is kind of what we started with. Death. 
But because of Jesus Christ, but because of Jesus Christ, I want you to see number four. Number four, because of Jesus Christ, the power of death prevails. Ha! The power of death prevails. Listen to me. All of this, everything that we just talked about, the curse of sin being cut off, the body of sin being buried, and the declaration of sin being destroyed, all happened because of death. Death. Literally, think about this, the most wonderful thing that could have ever happened to you or I. The most wonderful thing that could have happened to us was the death of Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate to you, please, how wonderful death can be. How awesome it can be. Would you go to John chapter 12 with me? John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 23. The Bible says this, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. But look at verse 24. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat or a seed of wheat fall into the ground, and watch this, and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, listen to this, watch this, it bringeth forth much fruit. Wow. This is how wonderful, this is how powerful death can be. Now think about this. The only way for our sin to be cut off, the only way for our sin to be buried, and the only way for our sin to be destroyed is through death. Please write this down. If you, if you get nothing else, write this down. It's three words. Death brought life. Death brought life. Listen to this. Think about a seed. Okay? When it's getting to be gardening season. When you take a seed and you, by faith, you bury a seed into the ground, it's no longer seen. Guess what? It cannot grow. It cannot produce fruit. It cannot grow unless it first dies. Unless it first dies. Listen to me. The body of Jesus Christ, his body of flesh, guess what happened? It died. The Bible is very clear about that. Jesus died on the cross. He hung there for hours he was, had a, uh, a spear pierced into his side, and, and, and according to biology, what came out was water and blood. That means it's separated now. So Jesus, in fact, was dead. His body of flesh died. But guess what? I want you, I want you to understand this, okay? His spirit was still alive. His spirit was still alive. Listen to me. While his body of flesh was dead, his heavenly spirit, guess what it was doing? It was conquering hell. It, was, it took our sin to hell, and it was conquering hell. And guess what? Three days later, that same spirit entered his dead body and brought it back to life. Go ahead and take a look at Romans chapter 8. We'll talk to you about the spirit Raising Jesus from the dead. Listen to me. Only when a seed dies can it bring forth much fruit. 
And I want you to understand, when a seed dies, something has to indwell that thing. We're going to get there in just a second. But look with me and in, in, uh, uh, go back to uh, Colossians chapter 2 again. Go back to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at the end of some of these verses. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says this, In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Look at this. In putting off the body of the flesh of the sins of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So we have the opportunity to put off our sins because of Jesus being cut off. We realize that God forsook Jesus. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the death of Jesus Christ, we have been made alive. Look at the end of verse 12. Excuse me, verse 13. The Bible says this, and hath quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. So not only were we dead, and Jesus cut those things off, and he buried them and destroyed them, but he brought us up, and he made us alive. He quickened us. Look at verse 15. The Bible says this, and having spoiled principalities and powers, everything that condemned us to death, he spoiled them. Look at, he made a show of them openly. Basically making a mock of them because he had so much power and so much strength. Watch this in verse 15. Triumphing over them in it. He triumphed over them. He didn't just beat them a little bit. He triumphed. Listen, Jesus Christ came out of the grave. Jesus Christ, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. Because of Jesus Christ, we no longer are dead, but we are being made alive. Because of Jesus Christ, we can have new life. And again, you may be sitting there this morning, thinking, I do not have Jesus Christ. Again, realize first that sin condemns you to death, but that's, that's the, again, that's the bad news. We don't like that part. But the wonderful part is this. Jesus Christ came to make us alive. His death brought life. The seed of Jesus Christ was planted, and when he died, life sprang forth. Life sprang forth. Hold on now. I want you to remember, we talked about this before, Jesus is real. This is, not, this is not an abstract story. This is a real thing in my life. This is a real thing that can be a part of your life. He's not just some lofty idea, something to think about. Oh, if I could just uh, be a little bit better in my life, I could just work a little bit harder. No, listen, he is not an abstract concept. He is our example. So please hear me out. Hold on. There is not one of us that likes the idea of dying. Not one of us. But I want you to hear me out, okay? What I want you to see this morning is the fact that we must die to ourselves. We must die to ourselves. You say, Pastor Yeomans, what, what does that mean? We must die to ourselves. We must cast, allow that sin to be cut off, 
Because, listen, our flesh wants to do what our flesh wants to do. We want to live our lives the way that we want to do. So dying to ourselves means simply this, putting aside our thoughts, putting aside our feelings, putting aside our desires, putting aside, listen to me, our way of life. Again, there is not, listen to me, there is not one of us that likes the idea of this. There's not one of us. Like, I, honestly, I do not like the idea of putting myself aside. I may be different, I may be proud and boastful, but I'll just be honest with you, I love myself. I think I'm the next best thing to slice bread. I, I really do, like, I, I think I'm awesome, I like the way I do things. Now, that doesn't mean I don't try to grow, but I want you to understand, if I am to bring forth much fruit, I have to die to myself. This, when you die to yourself, this is the only way that you will truly understand the meaning of life. That seems like a very bold statement and a very big statement. But that's the only way that you will understand the true meaning of life. You see, listen, there are so many people, and I believe this, Christians included, who are just going through the motions of following Jesus. They're just going through the motions of following Jesus. Man, you're watching online today. That's awesome. Are you here because you want to learn something or just because this is what you do? There are so many people, again, Christians included, that do some of the right things. But listen to me. There's just no life. You know what I mean? There's just no life. Listen, again, if you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. There is no life because we have not died. You say, Pastor, that just doesn't make sense. Listen to me. There is no life because we have not died. Listen, when we stop being concerned about us and we allow the Spirit of God to infuse our lives, that's when we start truly experiencing life the way it was designed to be experienced. Let's go back to the seed. I'm trying not to confuse you too badly. But let's think about this seed. Okay, I've read some articles in studying through this. And it is said that when a seed goes into the ground... It is virtually does nothing. The seed is waiting for the perfect opportunity when it has all of the elements right. And guess what one of those main elements is? Pretty much the, I mean, obviously it has to have dirt. Pretty much the only element to begin the germination of seed, guess what it is? It's water. And guess what happens? Listen, listen to this, I love this. The water infuses the seed. It, it, it becomes a part of it. It becomes all-inclusive. Listen, that's why when you plant a seed, you water it. Because that, guess what? That activates something. Guess what the, what, what the Spirit is referred to in the Bible? It's often referred to as wind or air, but guess what? It's also referred to as water. And out of our bellies ought to flow rivers of living water. And Jesus says, this I speak of the Spirit. I want you to understand something. Listen to this again. 
when we stop being concerned about us and we allow the Spirit of God to infuse our lives, we start truly experiencing life the way it was designed to be experienced. When that plant is infused with water or that seed, guess what happens? It starts getting roots. And that sprout starts digging its way through the surface and then it gains photosynthesis and it gets closer to the sun. Man, there's so many (laughs) parallels here. Listen, there are many in life There are many in life who want what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. There are many who want love, who want true love, that that, that just are dying for it. There are many in life who want true joy. I mean, they want to experience the true joy of Jesus Christ. They've never really experienced it. There are many who want true peace. They've had moments of it, but they want true peace. Let me say something to you. Listen, if we are honest, many of us do not have those things. Oh, sure, listen, we have access to them. Listen, many of us would say, Pastor Yeomans, I have have access to love, joy, and peace and all of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. I I have access to those things. But if we're honest, I'm telling you, I'm speaking from, from my own life as well. If we're honest, the reality is we have access to them, yes, but many of them do not access them. Many of us do not access them. Many of us did not use them. Why? Here it is. Because we're not willing to die. We're not willing to die. We're not willing to cut, allow Jesus to cut that off and push those things off. We're not willing to put off the old man, as the Bible says. We're not willing to bury them. And we are not willing to see them nailed to the cross, we're not willing to die. Now let's get very practical. I I promised you that I would. You may be asking yourself this morning, how do I die to self? How do I die to self? You say, Pastor Yeomans, I, I kind of understand what you're saying. I think that I want that love, I want that joy, I want that peace, I I want the fruit of the Spirit running through me, I want to be infused with the Spirit of God, I want to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of my flesh. I so badly want to do those things, but how? How do I do it? Let Let me try to explain this to you. I believe that the very best way to do that is to tell yourself no. Just a two letter word. Just tell yourself no. So listen to me. I believe that every person that hears this message should tell themselves no. And here's how I want you to do it practically. You can take this if you want. That this is my challenge to you. I want you to tell yourself no for one week. For one week. Now, many of you will think, all right, I'll tell myself no. um, I'm not going to eat the donut at Tim Hortons. Okay? While I understand that, and that's probably a good exercise for most of us all, all the time, listen, I'm not talking about food or, or something that will affect you necessarily physically. Think about this with me. I want, I want you to do something that will affect you spiritually. I want you to tell yourself no about something that will affect you spiritually. Listen, let me just give you a few examples. How about the time that you spend on your phone? You say, Pastor Yeomans, that's a physical thing. Yes, I understand that. But guess what? It can affect you spiritually. 
How much time do you spend on your phone? Instead of spending an hour on your phone, tell yourself no, listen to me, and put a timer on for an hour. And just read your Bible. Listen to me. That will affect you spiritually. Guess what that will do? That will die to yourself. That will put to death yourself. Okay? Just for one week. Just do it for one week. Just tell yourself no for one week. How about television? Instead of binge watching something on Netflix and spending hours upon hours doing that, tell yourself no. Tell yourself no. Listen, we are very comfortable with our television sometimes. We allow things on our television that if I can just be so bold as to say that taint our relationship in our walk with Christ. They get in the way of that. So let, let me challenge you. Spend the time that you would spend watching television. Spend that time praying. You say, Pastor Yeomans, that's insane. That's a ton of time. I, yes, I know. But just do it for one week. Just do it for one week. Tell yourself no. Die to yourself for one week. How about this one? How about music? How about instead of listening to the wrong type of music, we take that time, we tell ourselves no to listening to something that pleases our ears, we tell ourselves no and maybe we listen to a message or a podcast about spiritual things or, or, or maybe we listen to a godly type of music. Listen, just do it for one week. Just, just start doing it for one week. Listen, I don't, these are just examples. I don't know what you necessarily need to tell yourself no about, but pick one thing and tell yourself no. Just listen, please. Start with one week of dying to yourself. Start with one week of dying to yourself. How about this one? How about when you have something unkind to say, you tell yourself no, you stop yourself and instead, you say something kind. Just do it for one week. One week. Again, I encourage us all to say no to some extent. Don't be afraid of dying to self. I can almost promise you this. If you tell yourself no for a week for spiritual things, you will see something happen in your life. You will see some life being given to you. And the reason I challenge you for a week is I'm just hoping that just kind of lights a spark. Listen, you've got to start somewhere. Just for one week. Tell yourself no for one week. Listen, the results, I believe this, will be life-giving. Because death for Jesus Christ brought life. And when we die to ourselves, it brings life. Listen again, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you think you can make it to heaven on your own. Listen, you got to die to yourself and accept the way that Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no way to get through Jesus, through, to heaven, excuse me, but through Jesus Christ. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it through works. It's only by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. He took your sin. He cut them off. He buried them. And he destroyed them. So you have the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. 
And so I hope that if you don't know that today, you would find that out. I hope that you'll take some time and let's make a decision for Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. And while I'm praying, I want, I'll give you just a, a minute to deal with some things in your heart and talk to Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and do that right now. Father, thank you so much for this day, for all that you've done for us. Father, I pray that as we begin to look into our own lives, that you would begin to convict us. Show us the areas of our life in which we need to tell ourselves no, which we need to die to ourselves. And Father, I pray that this week we would see the awesomeness of death, the life-giving of death. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name.